Right, hello, welcome to the latest episode of the Big Football Podcast. Uh, as always, hosting, my name's Dan, and I'm joined on this very wet winter evening by Paul. Good evening, Dan. And Carl. Hello, good evening. Gentlemen, it's been a busy weekend. Um, Maurizio Potticino is currently warming up for a, a, a job interview, I suspect, um, on Monday Night Football. But before we, we touch on him, um, I'd like to... Um, pay a tribute to to Nobby Styles' his life and career, and I'd also like to to bring up the sad news um, about Bobby Charlton. Uh, dementia is um, something that I feel strongly about. I've seen um, one grandfather uh, lose a fight to it, and, and one start before he, uh, he he died at the grand old age of ninety. So it's a very um, topical subject as well. Dementia in football. Is something that's not considered. But if we start with Nobby Styles, um, I didn't see a lot of him as a, as a player. Obviously, long before my time, um, my dad spoke very highly of him, and my dad has met him at um, a sportsman's event and said, um, along with Alex Stepney, a nicer man you could not wish to meet. So, um, what what would um, what would you both say about Nobby Styles? It's an, another loss of the uh, the class of '66, unfortunately. It, it it is Dan, and I think unfortunately that it's becoming the, it's sort of a bit thick and fast now. Unfortunately, that generation when you think obviously the World Cup itself was you know over fifty years ago now, so obviously that they they are all getting on a bit. Um, you know, we lost Jack Charlton only a few months ago. Um, I think Gordon Banks only last year. Um, so it's unfortunately getting to a point where there are only a. Uh, a couple of you know, a couple of that team left, and and as you mentioned, um, Bobby Charlton now also um, you know sort of you know quite quite unwell. Um, so part of it is obviously just a, a natural part of life, but obviously it's still very sad. You know, I think uh, the England 90, 1966 team is sort of down in in folklore and history, um, and I think will always be you know remembered as as a great team, and there were some great characters in there. And I think you know from what you know from the reports you see. And the sort of obituaries of him, you know, he, he, Nobby Styles was really one of the great characters of that team. Um, you know, I, I should also say I'm also too young to have seen him uh, play in the flesh. So he's one of those players you have to go by reputation. But, um, you know, based on what I've read over the last few days, I mean, I've not seen a single person um, have anything but the highest praise for him as a player and as a, as, as a person. Um, so I think, you know, it, it, when you see sort of that view expressed so consistently, you kind of have to accept that that was probably true. And and, and obviously, you know, as, as a United fan as well, you know, he was a great player for us, won the, you know, the European Cup with us um, and the league as well, um, as you know, as well as obviously the, the World Cup with England. So a highly decorated player, um, I think nearly 400 appearances for as he made. Um, so, yeah, it is, it is, it, you know, it is incredibly sad when you see another, another of that generation, um, and particularly, you know, from the from the '66 team go, um, and it sort of makes you reflect a little bit on how football has changed. You know, you always read the same thing: how all these players had to sell all their medals and all that, and you know, you kind of compare it to today, and you think, you know, certain certain other World Cup winning midfielders that Man United have won't be needing to sell their medals anytime soon, will they? And it's it's sort of always always makes you feel a bit sad when that was the reality for some of some of that generation to to keep their you know themselves and their families and give them an inheritance. Um, and he's, you know, definitely one one in that in that category. Um, but yeah, I, I think just yeah, very 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 sad news and a, a bit of a double whammy with um, as you touched on with Bobby Charlton and his sort of diagnosis as well is also very sad. Um, but uh, yeah, I think I'll I'll hand over to to to, to Paul for some uh, some reflection from him as well now. Thanks. 
Yeah, I, I think I think Khan's covered a lot there. It, it is, you know, obviously Bobby Moore died long before his time, um, but but for a long time Bobby was Bobby Moore was the only one of the of the '66 team that that wasn't with us. You know, as as we grew up into sort of you know adolescents and, and young adults, I think probably ten of the eleven were were still around, and then we've had a, a spate in recent years of of them dying. Now that's that's bound to happen. That's part of life, as Con said. It's old age. I think Bobby Charlton is the fifth or the sixth member of that team to be diagnosed with dementia now. Uh, Nobby Styles, I believe, had had dementia as well um, in, in his later years. Uh, I, I heard Jeff Astle's daughter, who who runs a campaign about dementia in in football, on the radio this morning. I thought she spoke extremely eloquently about about both cases. Um, in terms of Nobby Styles, the player, he was a sort of, you know, from what I understand, and again, I'm also too young, but he, he was one of those players who didn't didn't create a, a lot of fuss, just got on with his job, um, you know, wasn't a, a limelight seeker or a, a limelight hogger. And, and you think of all the good World Cup teams, they've all had a player like Nobby Styles in midfield, whose job was to get the ball back and, and then pass it nice and simple. You know, whether it's Dunger in, in Brazil's team or Deschamps for France or, you know, even Busquets for the, for the great Spain side, they, they, they've all had a player of that ilk, and, and Nobby Styles did a really important job in that in that England team. Cons touched on his career at Manchester United, European Cup winner, 400 games for the club. He also had a little dabble in management. He, he got Preston North End promoted out of the fourth division, I think, um, in a in a three or four year spell there as as a manager. So uh, you know he he had success throughout his his football career and. Um, it's it's another sad loss from that that generation of of 1966 World Cup winners and um, and certainly I think the news about Bobby Charlton as well does does bring us onto a conversation Dan that we we probably will come back to at some point about um, you know the the dementia issues that are starting to become a little bit more frequent uh, and frequently diagnosed and and part of that is no doubt that football ex footballers are living longer um, you know as they are. Uh, retiring richer, they're able to look after themselves in other ways into their uh, later years, and and that in its in, in turn means they they probably live a little bit longer. And I think we're seeing more of these diagnoses now, and and it may become at some point an issue that football has to confront. Again, Jeff Astle's daughter spoke extremely well this morning, and and her view seemed to be it isn't just the impact of kind of heading footballs in a match where you might head the ball twenty thirty times. But when you add that to, you know, all the training sessions that the players have done all through their lives and and it starts to become, a, you know, and, and then the head collisions that are part of sort of challenging for the ball in the air on a regular basis, it, it, you know, it is something that football might have to address in a more sort of structured and serious way going forward. I've talked before on this podcast about being a big NFL fan. Obviously, they've got a, a bigger problem with head collisions given the nature of the sport. But eventually, they've they've had to confront that as a as a as an industry, and I think football probably will get there. Um, so hopefully, you know, uh, condolences to, to Nobby Sal's family. But hopefully, with with Bobby Charlton's case, they can, um, you know, make the rest of his of his time with us on this earth as as comfortable and, and enjoyable as possible, and 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 hopefully he doesn't suffer too much through through what is as you've said, Dan, and I've got family experience of it as well. Not a very pleasant illness. Just, 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 just Paul, Paul, really quickly on that. Am, am I right in thinking that? Because um, I know Jeff Astle's daughter has been 
very vocal about it. But am I right in thinking that there was a study done that sort of showed a link and that the authorities sort of mothballed it? Isn't that part of the reason why she's always quite outspoken um, on the issue or something like that, that they sort of, they've chosen not to pursue it further or something like that? And I'm sure if I yeah. like that, I don't know if you've got more detail on that. The, the, the study basically showed that footballers, I think it's three and a half times more likely to get dementia than the non-footballers. What the study didn't do is go as far as proving, as I understand it, go as far as proving a a direct causal link. So while Mm. it did prove that the prevalence is much higher in in people of that generation who were ex-footballers and people who were not, it didn't quite go as far. The science, as I understand it, didn't quite allow them to go as far as saying it is caused by playing football. Um, And the authorities hid behind that a little bit, as um, we probably shouldn't be surprised. Um, Mm. And I I think Jeff Astle's daughter continues to be of the belief that the evidence is pretty overwhelming and and that it's time to start taking it more seriously. I, I do think we will get to a point where we have to. When you look at that 66 team and you've got half of them suffering from dementia um you know is it half the population of men of that age Hmm, i'd be interested to see i think probably not but it is half of that 1966 world cup team so um yeah i I think i think there is something there that football will have to face up to in a much more serious way uh, and look itself in the in the mirror a little bit more as we go forward dementia is tough to talk about sometimes um, so yeah, um, Jeff Astle's daughter uh, always speaks very, very well about it, and, and credit to her uh, yet again for for being the voice that makes so much sense and talks so much sense about dementia, which is a really tough issue to front up to. If yeah. we if we then um, move on to something that can might find it tough to talk about, um, I thought. Um, <laughs> I thought Manchester United were insipid yesterday, Cam. Um, the question I've got for for you, you both really here is um, how long has, has Solskjaer got? Because to me, that that was a dying gambers kind of performance and I, I doubt it's lost on anybody that um, Potocino was kind of reappeared and resurfaced after a, a, a year on he's, the He's found the dry cleaners, hasn't he? And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> all of a sudden, he's found his ticket. And, yes, um, has he got that not, suit I've on that... Has he got that suit on that he always had on when he got his arm around the Spurs players when they were signing new contracts? Remember for a while, <laughs> it was like... Every... T- <laughs> yeah, every time a Spurs player signed a new contract, you'd get Pochettino with the same suit on and his arm around them. Um, I just wondered if he dusted that suit off. Well, he used to like the all black, didn't he? He did, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, no, I think that maybe Dan's watching. But no, I saw they were sort of um, had a big promotional push for him uh, yesterday. Um, so yeah, it's quite quite amusing timing given the results. Um, but um but yes, to, to sort of answer you more more directly, Dan, rather than talking about uh, fashion of uh, football managers or, or <laughs> ex-football managers, um, or out-of-work football managers, I should say. <laughs> um, but yes, it was uh, a dire performance. And I, I think it's, it's strange for a number of reasons. You know, I said a few weeks ago, the kind of run we had coming up and how tough it looked, um, you know, that it was, um, you know, Chelsea, PSG, um, or PSG, Chelsea, Leipzig, Arsenal. And and what's sort of bizarre is that both the league performances have been dreadful, um, that we've taken a point from those games um, in the league. But but actually, the, 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 the Champions League performances have been 
really good. Um, and we've had, we've actually played really well in them and deserve to win both of those games, uh, which is part of the reason why I think there is perhaps going to be, you know, it, it, if we if we hadn't done well in those games as well as the league, then, you know, maybe we'd be talking about who is the next manager going to be more directly on this on this podcast. But I think obviously those, you know, being top of the Champions League group, um, I think helps um, to sort of stop stop that conversation happening quite so soon. But the, the reality is... Um, we, you know, we've beaten Brighton and Newcastle away in the league, and the Brighton one was lucky to say the least. Um, but you know, Palace at home, we deserve to lose. Palace were better than us. Absolutely hammered by Spurs. Um, drew with Chelsea, and then I know it was a narrow result on paper and a penalty, but we were never in the game yesterday. Arsenal ran the show from start to finish, um, and that just can't go on. You know, it's. Uh, something needs to change there. And I, I think there's, he seems to have made a little bit of a mess of, of, of the sort of selection, tactics, strategy. It's all just, it's all gone wrong. Um, sort of all at the same time, you know, it, it was Fernandez had an off day yesterday. I mean, I think he's got enough goodwill in the bank, so I'm not going to be too harsh on him. Um, he's arguably earned an off day with the amount of man of the match performances he's put in so far. You know, I'm not going to have a go at him too much. Um, you know, Pogba shouldn't really be anywhere near the team. He's been he's been stubbornly playing him all season, uh, to no remote positive return whatsoever. Um, and yeah, it's 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 just a bit of a mess. I mean, yes, we've been without Martial for three games, which doesn't help. He's one of our our better outlets up up front, and had a, had a really good sort of end to the season last year. So, um, you know, it's uh, it has been frustrating not having him available. You know, particularly for those last two games. Um, where we've obviously failed to score. So we'll, we will at least have him back for the next league game, which is definitely a positive because um, I'm not sure anyone was overly wowed. I know certainly Roy Keane wasn't wowed by Cavani's brief appearance. Um, <laughs> um, so it, it's just, yeah, and unfortunately it's, it, it has just been a, a complete mess, particularly you know in, a, in all our home games this season. Um, and it's uh, it's... It is strange, given those two Champions League results, whether they're just anomalies in amongst the dross. I don't know. Time will tell. But, um, you know, realistically, we're, we're down the bottom end of the table. I know for, we're fortunate that the points are very close. So a win or two, and all of a sudden you, you're in the top three. Um, but at the moment, we don't look anywhere near like sort of putting that sort of run together at all. Um, and the longer it goes on, of course, th- those gaps in points will start to increase. Um, and then it will become, it will start to look embarrassing. And at that point, then, you know, someone will have to make a decision. Um, I don't think, I still don't think the hierarchy particularly wants to get rid of him. Um, and I think it's partly because they they probably don't have a clue other than, I mean, we're just joking about Pochettino. If, if he'd want to touch us with a barge pole, I might add. But beyond him, I don't think they'd really have a, a Scooby-Doo who they'd appoint instead, which is arguably why they appointed Solskjaer in the first place after Mourinho. So there's an element of back to square one about it. Um, so I, I suspect that what Woodward and the Glazers are doing is just hoping that he can sort of dig himself out of this hole and put a few results together and take the conversation off the table. Because I, d- I don't think they really want to pull the trigger, in all honesty. Um, and I think that's why we might see him sort of limp on a bit longer. But it, it does need to change and, and quick. And, you know, as I think has been mentioned, you know, he's, he, he was saying how it's not the same without the fans in the stadium. Well, he might be glad because some of the receptions he would have had to some of those results... Um, would would have been less than complimentary to say the least. 
Um, so whether he's sort of implying that we wouldn't have put in those performances if there have been fans in the stadium, you know, who knows? But, you know, other teams seem to be managing it. So I don't think you can really use that as an excuse when everyone's coping with the same circumstances. So I don't think you can really use that as an excuse when you lose. Um, yeah, I think I'm out of things to say on it. <laughs> I'll let one of you guys jump in. Yeah, I think there's there's much truth in um, in what Khan said. I, I I listened to Roy Keane after the game yesterday. I thought he was spot on. I think there's a lack of leadership in that Manchester United team. I think there's a lack of real clear identity about that Manchester United team. The lineup was strange. I didn't watch the Leipzig game in midweek, but it sounds as though they played with the diamond in that game as well. Um, I'm not sure what the question is if Paul Pogba to the left of a diamond and Scott McTominay to the right of the diamond is the answer. Um, but I don't think it's a question that anyone should be asking. Um, and I thought the conversation that Roy Keane had with Tim Cahill after the game was, was quite an interesting one. Um because there was a contrast there yesterday between a manager who's been in charge of his team for 39 games and Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, who had his 100th game as the Manchester United manager yesterday. Now, one team, and you know, I'm, uh, as people know, I'm an Arsenal supporter, but I've talked on this podcast before about the fact that I still think we are, we are nothing more than a work in progress. But there is a very clear identity to what Arsenal are trying to do under Arteta. And you can pretty much, from game to game, know what to expect now when you watch an Arsenal team play. Hasn't always been that case. Um, when, when Unai Emery was in charge, we were a bit like Manchester United in that we were complete scattergun as to how we played one game to the next. Um, but there is an identity now about Arsenal. There is a plan. There is a, an approach that they try and take to games of football. And Manchester United just don't seem to have one. They seem to lurch from idea to idea. And this, this diamond is the next one that they seem to have struck upon. Um, as though This is something that always happens when teams have got too many central midfield players and not enough wide players. Uh, I think Everton tried something quite similar yesterday, actually, at, at Newcastle and it, earlier in the day. And it, it didn't work for them either. Um you know, you can think back to the Svenjur and Eriksson England teams, can't we? When we <laughs> we had Gerard, Lampard, Scholes, um, Hargreaves, trying to Hargreaves, yeah, uh, Carrick, all trying to fit them in the in the same team. Um, so I, I think there's a bit of a of a problem there about Manchester United trying to fit players in rather than picking a system that they think works. We've talked endlessly, I think, you know, we're only six games into the season. We've talked endlessly about the fact that Donny Van, uh, van der Beek just doesn't seem to get a look in, um, which which seems really odd. And he got, what was it, 17 or 18 minutes at the end yesterday. Um, Scott McTominay played 90 minutes. That's a mystery to modern science. Um, Paul Pogba played 90 minutes. I, I, I think it's got to the point with Pogba where, and again, I'm going to contrast it with Arsenal now, and there'll be some people who groan when they hear that. I think Pogba's getting really close to the point where you've got a Mesut Özil and you've just got to give up on it, accept that it was a bad job, accept that it's a, a lost cause and, and cut ties. Now, I think the reason United probably aren't going to do that is because um, they've just taken the one-year extension option on his contract. I think they think they can still sell him in the summer and get some of their money back. Um but at the moment, they are trying to force him into a team. They look completely devoid of shape when he's in there. He's lazy. He doesn't you know, seem to play to any sort of direction. I don't know what he's doing on the penalty. I just don't know what he's doing. This is a man who's won a World Cup. He's got a right fullback running out of the penalty area towards the touchline. Just let him go. What? He said at the end... 
I tr- when he was interviewed on Sky, I was trying to touch the ball and maybe I was out of breath. Well, A, you didn't need to touch the ball. He's going away from goal. You've done your job. And B, out of breath. You're a World Cup winner. You're, you, you know, you're a £90 million footballer. You, you've played 60 minutes of a Premier League game. Should you be saying you're out of breath? Can I, can I just jump in there and say to our listeners, like, this isn't Graham Sooners in disguise. This is Paul. <laughs> I, was I mean, Roy Keane's accent softened. <laughs> yeah, I just, I, you know, I, I no, no you, you're spot on, Paul. You're, you're spot on. Um, I, yeah. I don't get I it. I almost think those kind of comments are almost like he's now just trolling his critics a bit by saying things like that to almost give them ammunition because he just doesn't care. Um, I think that's, I think that's the problem. Um, but no, no, everything you've said, spot on. As, as, as to be fair, you know, I know Roy Keane gets a bit of stick when he goes on his rants but actually let's say 98% of what he said yesterday from what I saw of it was was absolutely spot on as well yeah I think that you know the, the lack of leaders point is a really stark one for me and it, it's really really noticeable um it's not just Pogba Khan's right Bruno Fernandes had a shocker yesterday but he's been their best player since they signed him so you know everyone's entitled to have a bad game um I thought Rashford tried hard the first half and then I thought he got really frustrated. Uh, you know, he played that great ball, didn't he, for the, the chance Greenwood had um, about halfway through the first half where he, he yeah. shot at, at the near post and Leno saves it with his legs. Um, it was a great ball from Rashford. I thought as the game got on, he looked more and more frustrated. His body language, frankly, wasn't great. And I'm a big Marcus Rashford fan, both as a player and a person. We touched on that last week. Um, and I do wonder if some of those little descent in the ranks type things will start to add up eventually on Oli. Um, and uh, they can't right, They can't keep playing like that. I mean, Man United, they're, they're wherever they are, fifth or sixth bottom of the Premier League. They've played six league games, four of them at home. And they've got one point from those four. Now, I know you can look at that and say, yeah, but they've played Chelsea, Tottenham and Arsenal. That's three of the tougher home games you'll play. Fair point. Get that completely. But, you know, think back a few years. How long was it before um, Pochettino's side won their 3-0 against Mourinho? How long was it since um, Spurs had won at Old Trafford? It was a generation. You know, before yesterday in the league, I know we've won there a couple of times in the Cup, but in the league, it was 14 years since Arsenal last won it. I just moved to London at the point that Arsenal last won at Old Trafford um, in the Premier League. It's 14 years ago. Uh, you know, uh, okay, yeah, Chelsea, they've, they've generally done a bit better there, so so fair, fair enough. This kind of, you know, uh, malaise that they've got at home, I think it's now six home games stretching back to last season without a win for Manchester United. And and uh, Ollie's excuses at the end, I mean, it, I, I thought he just needed to stop talking because the more he spoke, the more ridiculous he got. I mean, he was the one who brought up the fact the fans weren't there. Yeah, no one prompted yeah. him to. It was just like a stream of consciousness coming out of his mouth. Um, he he looks a little bit lost to me. I think he's a nice guy. I think he's tried really hard. He, he knows what some of the problems are at Manchester United. I think he's been right in identifying some of the problems. I think this was the point now when it was up to him to start identifying the solutions. And and I agree with what Khan said to, to conclude. I, I don't think the board are in a desperate rush to sack him. I do think he will get. Um, probably the, the you know obviously the game this weekend and then and then he'll get a couple of weeks after the international break to really start to pull the season around. 
but if he doesn't, then then by Christmas he's he's going to be out of a job. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think I think it's like probably essentially got got till ten games, hasn't he? I think it's probably the way to look at it. We played six, got four left, one one before the break, three after. That must put us at what just before the the Christmas run in. I know we're arguably already on a Christmas run in when you're playing in Europe, which we touched on last week. But it feels like yeah, if he's in that sort of first week of December fixture and and it's still kind of you know if we're still 15th or whatever then realistically at that point it, it's become untenable um but yeah i think just to just a final comments on what you said there i think part of the issue and the reason he's coming out with excuses about the fans and stuff is that yeah he, he doesn't really know what to do either and that's that's the sort of big worry that maybe he's reached his sort of you know he, he was over promoted into the role i think we all mm-hmm. we all know that yeah and i think maybe he sort of realized his own limitation of you know i'm not a top level top class football manager um and I think that's 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 the bigger worry, and makes makes you think maybe the the writing is on the wall. So yeah, we'll wait and see. But where we go from there? Because I think the thing is that the sort of diagnosis you've sort of said there, Paul, as well, is you know some of those problems around lack of leaders and so on. We've been saying this for five six years, yeah. Um, yeah. And that's that's sort of just followed us around, and the manager changes, but the problems don't. Um, and, and, and recruitment, we keep... and we've talked about yeah, recruitment yeah, yeah. before, haven't we, Con? But you yeah. know, it, the, the recruitment issue—that's not all on Ollie, and and you know that goes back through Mourinho, through Van the uh, Van Hall, through David Moyes. This recruitment problem—it it probably even was there in the latter years of Ferguson, if we're frankly honest about it. Which is why they resorted to you know paying 25 million or whatever it was for Robin Van Persie for basically 12 months because mm. the, the actual sort of plan and strategy around the recruitment wasn't in place. Yeah, it was. It was. Um, I think we, we papered over the cracks for a few years. Um, and then, yeah, as soon as, uh, soon as Ferguson and Gill, you know, packed the bags and left, it left us, it left us bare and without any sort of strategy or know-how in that area. And that's, that's now what we've seen in the years since then. And that's why we, you know, we keep coming back to Woodward and the Glazers because actually it does, you know, it stems from there. And uh, I think, like I say, it doesn't matter whether you pick. You know, we've had big name managers, managers who've won Champions League, and they can't stop the rot either. Um, so uh, yeah, like I say, it does make you think. Well, where where will we go next? You know, if we're on the hunt for a manager in in December, um, you know, where 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 do you go? Because you've tried almost everything else. You know, you've tried a manager who did well in the Premier League at a at a you know, I don't want to call Everton a lesser club or whatever, but you know what I mean. A sort of I will. Type. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers, Dan. Thanks. I knew I'd get back at that. Um, but, you know, we, we, tried, we tried that and sort of promoting someone up, if you like, into a sort of elite club. That didn't work. We tried, you know, like I said, we tried managers who've won trophies around Europe with decades of experience. That hasn't worked. Um, we've tried someone from within the club, you know, the, the phrase I hate the most, that knows the club, which is just my one of my least favourite phrases in football. Um, that, that hasn't worked either, or isn't working either. So it's like, what what's left? You know, where'd you go? You know, get the kit man or, uh, you know, randomly select a fan off Twitter. I mean, you know, what's that guy, you know, Gold Goldbridge or whatever he's called. Give him, give, give him a run. Give it him till the end of the season. Uh, well, <laughs> all, all, all I'll say, um, Con, on your Kitman comment is Bertie Mee, who, who won the first of Arsenal's doubles, was the physio before he became manager. <laughs> uh, I just think football's maybe moved on a bit since then. <laughs> um, uh, although, wasn't Nigel Adkins a physio, I think, before he became a manager as well at, at Scunthorpe, maybe? Um, uh, just before we finish on this topic, Dan, because I, I don't want you to go completely unpassed. Um, or unsaid before we go past it is is that I thought Arsenal were good yesterday and I've been relatively critical in the last couple of performances in terms of 
not being able to break out of a defensive shape and, and actually sort of control and dictate the game a little bit more. And I think Khan said it right at the start. I thought Arsenal were in control pretty much throughout yesterday. And if anything, the frustration was that we hadn't taken one of those chances earlier on in the game and, and been in front. I think I said to my friend at half time, you know, we might live to regret this because Man United can't be that bad again. Um, and they weren't quite, but it was very marginal. Um, and obviously, they, they made the mistake for us to get the penalty. I, I didn't think we played as well second half, but overall, over the, the 90 minutes, I definitely thought we deserved to win. Um, and it was a necessary win as well after the result last week. A couple of, couple of things I want to come in on before we move on with this. Um, first of all, um, you, you compared Pogba to Ozil. And I think that's a very fine comparison football-wise. But I'm not so sure Pogba would bail Fred the Red out. <laughs> um, secondly, <laughs> I, I look at United and I see a club that has no strategy. Transfer-wise, is the recruitment is the biggest problem at United, but there's lots of other problems which you've, you've both highlighted a lot better than I could. But it, it's United spent all summer chasing Jadon Sancho and I'm not so sure that Jadon Sancho would have fixed United's problems yesterday. United don't have problems in that that wide position where he plays. They've got Martial, they've got um, uh, Marcus Rashford um, I'll make some mention to, to Daniel James. I'm not so sure he's the answer but I'll make a mention to him nonetheless. Uh, I'm, I'm probably missing, so, oh, sorry, uh, uh, Greenwood as well. Um I see a team that has no leadership. I see a team that has Victor Lindelof at centre half, um, and I, I I do like the Brazilian, um, but he's obviously got COVID at the moment. Would he have made a big difference yesterday? Probably not. Is Luke Shaw and his McDonald's breakfast a problem? Not yesterday particularly. A problem in general, possibly. Oh, um, I I thought Luke Shaw was bad yesterday. I thought both the fullbacks were. I mean, I've, I'm on record as I don't rate either of them. Yes, I, I don't. I don't rate Wamba Saka either. I think he's out of his depth at Man United. Um, I know that's a bit of a controversial view. Some people seem to like him, but I don't see it either of them. Shaw's hopeless. <laughs> well, he also can't um, beat a, the first man with a corner as well. His corners were dreadful yesterday. Lot, has he been? Has he been taking? Has he been taking tips off Pepe? Because for seventy-two million pound these days, you get a bloke who can't take a corner. <laughs> a lot of players can't beat the foot. I mean, I mean, Trent Alexander-Arnold's delivery is one of the best in the world, but he hits it straight at the first defender sometimes, and it's something that really infuriates me because it's a footballing fundamental. But it, it ha- seems to happen a lot. And um, on on Arsenal, Paul, um, you, you touched on it ten minutes or so ago. I know what Arsenal are going to do. Arsenal are going to defend well, not give much away, maybe not carry as much of a threat as they have done, but will generally try and control the ball. And if you control the ball, you're generally controlling the game. And it's just yeah. it's smart tactics. Just Arsenal will be in a game because they don't give much away. And Best defensive record in the Premier League, Dan. When was the last time you could say that about Arsenal? Exactly, yeah. Um, and I look at United, and for, for all what I've said about the problems not being up front, if it's not lol penalty United, as it has seems to have been a lot since he signed Bruno Fernandes, not that I'm accusing him of being that reason, United look short of goals as well. And I, I, just, I just get the feeling, it feels to me as though it's at that point again where... United need to make a managerial change. I, I don't think Solskjaer was ever the right man for the job. 
Um, but he seems to get a result here and there. And as you've already alluded to, Cam, you know, like the two Champions League results in and by themselves are very good results. And that seems to just paper over the cracks for another couple of weeks and then... You know, like United will probably go and lose one nil at Fulham because United always lose to a promoted team. It's the rules. Um, I don't know why it just seems to always happen. United lose to a promoted team, and yeah, um, United are a bit of a mess at the moment. And um, if Pochettino is interviewing himself for the job on on Monday Night Football, um, I, I don't think I think it'd be crazy to go to to the two Spanish giants based on the finances alone. Um, I do think Ronald Koeman. Um, and his red Christmas tree are really, really not sitting comfortably at Barcelona at the moment. But and and Real Madrid will do as and what they want to with Zidane because they've got no regard for club legends in the uh, in the dugout. So I, I don't know how that's going to go. But um, I I think if United made the move now, they could probably secure Pochettino before maybe. I suppose if, if Guardiola's done at City as well, they may be monitoring his position as well. But he's been out of work for a year. I'm surprised that Barcelona didn't try and have a nibble at him over the summer. I'm I'm told he won't go to Barcelona. Due um, to the Espanol. Yeah, yeah. I'm told he won't go to Barcelona. That one's off the table. So if it was gonna be one of the Spanish clubs, it'd have to be uh have to be Real or I suppose, you know, potentially Atletico, I don't know. Um I think uh I think you're right in terms of the, the other option for Pochettino is Manchester City if if indeed this is Guardiola's last year and you know, we won't cover that tonight, but I'm sure we'll get to it in, in other weeks. Sure. Yeah. Um that, that was an interesting conversation that um so thank thank you both. Um yeah, and I I know it's probably um a painful one, Khan. If if it helps I had that conversation about six or seven times between um, Roy Evans leaving and Jurgen Klopp arriving, so um, <laughs> I, 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 I know how you feel. I remember Dan took a long time to come round to the view that it wasn't going to happen for Gerard Houllier. Uh, yeah, I, I, I did. <laughs> Gerard Houllier was, was very successful for, for Liverpool until his last season when I, I don't know how much, and I'm, I'm being genuinely serious here, I don't know how much his illness affected him. Yeah. But he made strange decisions in the transfer market and it, it cost him. He, he did genuinely really lose his grip on almost reality when it, towards the end of his Liverpool time at Liverpool. I accepted that the, the bad season he had in 2002, 2003, I think I want, I think it was yeah. because it, you know, like we'd not long since won the treble. If Arsenal would have had the courtesy to have a bad run, which they didn't the season before, we'd have probably won the league by about 10 points. But Arsenal didn't have a bad run, so you know. I, I, I looking back, I probably gave Julier support for a season longer than than he warranted. But like he was a successful manager for us. But when when the end come, it was like, well, who who do we get in? And then suddenly Benitez is manager, and you know, I, I, I think Benitez has had a lot of faults as a, as a manager. Some some very good positives as well, but. Um, I'm I'm surprised he's still in China, <laughs> but I think I think the point is Dan, isn't it that it, you know it, that sort of knowing when it's the right time for a manager to move on is is an art and not a science, and and I think Manchester United are, are probably at board level grappling with that the same as the same as some of the supporters are at the moment. Yeah, um, 
Oh, oh, the thing is, though, the Glazers don't believe, oh, and Edward would indeed don't believe in, in art or science. They believe in cold, hard cash. Um, <laughs> That's true. So it would be interesting to see when United's bottom line affects that decision. If we uh, move on, and I'm sure Khan is delighted to do so. Um, <laughs> Please. <laughs> we, all, all of us now, I'm not just being victimised in Tier 3. All of us now are from Thursday the 5th of November um, in the state of lockdown the country is going back to quite similar levels as it did in March but not quite um, to that extent or severity Um, how does football fit in? It's been confirmed that the Premier League will continue and elite football will continue Um, certainly I know Stu who was our guest a few weeks ago his season is now curtailed as of Wednesday is going to be his last training session Um, alright how does football fit into this lockdown? Yeah, it's it's a really tough one, Dan. And I, I thought almost immediately on hearing the news on Saturday evening about that conversation we had with Stu. And if people haven't listened to it, it's well worth going back and having a, a listen to because it was a really good conversation about, you know, grassroots football. But but then my, my thought also turns, Dan, to what about that, that level that's that's below elite football? by which I mean probably the Premier League and, and you know you could make an argument for the Championship and they are the two leagues, if we think about it, that resumed in, in June. What about the two leagues that are professional football but certainly not elite football that didn't resume in June? We've talked already this season about the difficulties for League One and League Two football clubs um, of trying to continue to run without their main source of income, which is paying punters coming through the gates. And I think it you know, they are going to be expected to continue. They're not going to have paid paying punters coming through the gates. Uh, and it's going to make what is already a challenging financial position even more challenging for, for clubs at that level. Um, can the Premier League work through it? Yes, I think it probably can. I think, you know, if I'm a Premier League club and I need to test my players twice a day and I can take them to hotels and keep them in bubbles and do all that sort of stuff, that those options are available to me. But they're not available to me if I run Crew Alexandra or, you know, Northampton Town. They're, they're just not. Uh, so I, I think there's, there's a question mark there about how the lower levels of professional football continue. And even more so when you get down to the the National League, we saw this weekend, I think there were three National League games postponed because of COVID-related reasons. Um, that's not sustainable. We can't get through a season at that level where three games have been postponed every week. There just isn't the time to fit the games in. You know, you're still at a level there, Dan, where pitches will suffer when we get into the winter and we'll lose games through frozen pitches and water logging. Uh, this is just an additional pressure that's that's going to create fixture backlogs. And then we've had a confirmation today from the FA that as of the time being, the, the, the FA Cup first round this weekend is going to uh, go ahead as planned. The FA needs it to, um, because uh, if you if you can't play a third round in January, if you've not played the second and, um, and first round, that, that goes without saying. Uh, but again, I think some of these clubs now who are going to be playing the FA Cup this weekend from the lower levels of, of non-league football who've made it through, um, there's a question about whether those clubs will play again after after this weekend. And in the in the event that a few of them make it through uh, in the FA Cup first round and make it to the second round draw, they may well not play another game between their first round and their second round because the uh, 
there, there seem to be genuine questions about the extent to which non-league football is going to be allowed to continue, certainly anything below the National League and, and the National League's North and South. Uh, I don't know that there's been an official announcement today on that from the government. If there has, I've, I've missed it. But certainly as of yesterday, um, the noises I was hearing was that the government did not expect football at those levels to continue. It expected that to be captured within the um, the definition of activities that, that will not be allowed to take place during the next month, which let's hope it is only a month. But, um, you know, I don't want to make this the COVID podcast. I think we all get probably enough of that. But, uh, but I think there's a fair chance that this lockdown isn't going to be done in four weeks. And... Um, we start to get into very sticky, sticky territory, and and it might be well, well worth us, you know, touching in with Stu again at some point and seeing seeing what what they're being told about the the likelihood of their season restarting. I'm, I'm considering uh, inviting Stu on again. Um, no, I've, I've already invited him on again. Um, we'll we'll be looking at doing that um, during the international break. Um, if the international break goes ahead, it shouldn't. Um, it's absolutely crazy that we're going to play international football again. Um, we can't get national league games on. Um, that's going to fall behind. As as I said to you before, like and what well, you said to me, actually, the season already started late as it was. Yeah. If you're having fixtures postponed because of COVID in October, you're in trouble. Um, yeah. I really fear for anything that's not um, professional football yeah. at the moment. It's not looking good. Yeah, anything anything below the football league is in real trouble. I think. I mean, there's a lot of professional clubs in the conference. We should or national league. Sorry, we should say that. But but I agree, Dan. I think it's below that level. That sort of league two level is difficult. I mean, just while we're on the international break, I know people think we hate international football already. But um, the uh, the the fact is that at the moment, the United Kingdom, Germany, and France are all uh, you know three of the biggest countries in Western Europe in different states of lockdown. Um, if you're seriously telling me that it's a good idea to fly international footballers from these three countries around the rest of Europe, then I'm telling you, you need your head looking at. I I, I think Paul, and um, I think there's a call for the Champions League to, to say, well, hang on a second, let's have a pause. Yeah, because you're doing the same, but you're flying clubs across Europe now. I- I think the only thing I'd say with the Champions League is it, it, it might be easier to create some sort of bubble system with with squads. Um, the problem with international football, and, and that isn't to say that there, there isn't something they should seriously think about, Dan. I think you're right. I think with international football, the problem is you, you're bringing such disparate groups together. Uh, so how do you control that mixing? It just seems just seems impossible. Yeah, yeah. In, international football is definitely a bigger risk than the Champions League. But you've you've got Ajax, um, who are in Liverpool's group. We played Liverpool twelve days ago. Liverpool have had COVID problems. I'm not saying that's what's happened. Could have, you know, like it's just. I mean, I I don't know what's going to happen to Ajax. It'll be interesting to see tomorrow actually because I don't remember any games being at risk because of of COVID. Obviously, other than lockdown. Ajax have got 11 players out of that game against the Danish team whose name I'm, I can't pronounce and won't try to. How, yeah. How's that going to work? I'd, I'd be very interested to see. Um, but I, I don't know who Arsenal have got in the Europa League next week, uh, this week. I'm, I don't suppose they need to fly wherever they're flying if they're not at home. 
Uh, I think we are at home this week, actually. Um, I'm trying to remember who we're playing. Uh, it's uh, Isn't it the lot Solskjaer uh, used to manage? I think it's it Mould. Is that where Solskjaer was? Yeah. Yeah, it's them, I think. I think we're at home, though, this week on Thursday. I'll, I'll flip that round, then. Does uh, Do, do Mould need to fly to London to play a game of football when the, the, the day the country goes into lockdown? No, it seems it seems it seems difficult as as a message, doesn't it? Yeah, and as as someone who had the most miserable time when there was no football to watch, and I mean a real miserable time when when football was was suspended, um, not least because I was worried the Northern Void Brigade might get the way. Um, you know, like it, it's I, I I don't see the value of playing the Champions League at the moment. The problem you've then got as Leicester just score a comedy goal at Leeds after two minutes. I don't know how that's happened because there was a replay being shown, which is my pet hate. Um, there's that that's going to be difficult to fit in at the end of the season because you've got Euro 2020 in in 2021, and I think at the moment that's pie in the sky because that's the competition that's going to be played across Europe's capitals. How are we going to do that? When we, <laughs> that? Surely that's a massive COVID risk at the moment as well. It's I, I don't see how that happens. In, in its there's no there's no way there's no way it can. I mean I think you know agree with what you've said. I was I was going to raise the same point about the Champions League and, and the internationals. It seems really jarring to have those games go ahead literally as you know as as some of the the big countries in Europe are, and where a lot of those teams will be coming from are going into lockdown to have players flying in and out of different countries it just seems madness and keep that going so it's very strange but yeah Euro 2021 in any form is very difficult to see happening never mind in the cross Europe I mean I think the cross Europe idea is just forget about it but I think uh, even the tournament itself it's like is is it at the point now where you just say do you know what we'll come back in three years (laughs) and and I know we've talked about the reasons and I know we've talked about the reasons why those decisions don't get made before, so I won't won't go over it, uh, you know, again. But um, it is just getting, you know, it's getting to the point of ridiculousness now, where they're just trying to, you know, force the honouring of every commitment. And as the longer this goes on, the more ridiculous those decisions are going to look. Um, uh, go uh, on, Dan. Uh, sorry, sorry, Carl. I was going to say uh, as well. At the moment, we don't even know who is going to be in the competition because we've got playoffs to come. Those playoffs mm. are penciled for you know like two weeks time. I, I just don't see how that international window can still happen. I think it's it's absolutely crazy. I, I, I get that we need to to try and and finish the playoff. Forget the intergalactic league of nations. I'm I'm sorry. Just it, it's a, a better idea than friendlies, but that's got to be forgotten about now. We, we just need to get these these playoff matches done, and I, I think there should be one off matches. And I think after that, you say. Right, we'll try again in in May. I, I think you can possibly save the Euros as a concept, not not the the intercontinental. So, sorry, um, cross country one. That that's just not happening, or it shouldn't. It probably still will because it's it's UEFA and UEFA will do what UEFA want to do. But you you can pick out a country. So let's just say France, because France seems to have an international tournament every eight years. Or it seems seems to me anyway that they they have tournaments all the time when we've been waiting since Euro ninety six. Um, you you can get a tournament done in one country if you it would cost a fortune and and whatnot. But 
that is not against the realms of possibility. But the the whole celebration, which is now a year old to date, um, that 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 ain't happening. No, I th- I think that's right. I mean, France had the Euros last time round, didn't it? In um in 2016 i think that's the obvious place you would you would start from if you decided that you were going to uh uh put it in a single country it would have to i think be france germany or the uk i think they're the only countries with the infrastructure infrastructure and the level of stadia that are modern enough spain maybe but i think you'd be pushing it you're more limited on your stadia choice in terms of those that meet some of the um, the current top end UEFA specifications, um, so it would have to be, I think, uh, France or Germany have had tournaments recently, or uh, the UK, who um, you know we've got fantastic stadia and, and our health and safety regulations are such that they have to be kept in a in a decent state of repair. Um, so you know we're, we're fortunate in that in that sense. But again, if those three countries are all in different states of lockdown come come the springtime and heading into the summer or, you know, we've been through really traumatic winter periods with, with COVID, as the Prime Minister's predicting, then I just don't see how you can realistically, you know, default to one of those countries. Let's hope we're not in that scenario and there's a, there's a way that the tournament can go on. But I think everybody's agreed that UEFA are going to have to abandon the idea of playing it across the continent, unless, unless almost as a miracle between now and then, in terms of what happens with this disease. Well, the prime minister might have guaranteed a great deal of normality by Christmas in August or whenever it was, but we can see how that's worked out. The, the miracles aren't going to happen with this. This is here to stay until next year. So, with, with that being said, do, how, how do you think the Euros is going to fare? Do you think it will happen? Do you think it will happen in a limited format where perhaps there's like playoffs within the competition itself? And is is this the one as well? Because I know they were going to shake up the format by having it. Are, are there, is this the one where there are more teams in it? Because were there like more teams in the last one and then there's even more in this one? Or have I, have I got mixed up? But I, I thought they were increasing. Um, so there was definitely more teams in the last one. I think it's the World Cup that's going to increase again rather than the Euros. Mm, right, it might be, yeah. Um, but but I, it, again, it, it's 24 teams now, the Euros. That's a lot of teams. Mm. And, and it, when you come to the one country point, it's a lot of games as well because it's now as long as the World Cup in the sense that you have a, yeah. a round of 16 as well as the last eight and the, and the last four. Yeah, we've got ourselves yeah, so into I think a real mess. It, Sorry, Cal. Yeah, it's it's a it's a big yeah, it's a big it's a big ask in in any way. I think, like I say, barring a, a miracle, but yeah, surely the the cross continent thing we just almost it's it's laughable. You know, it's like literally the one scenario where that is like the worst thing you could come up with. <laughs> um, so yeah, that that even even the the bonkers UEFA will have to uh, you know will have to surely. Uh, concede that uh yeah that, that that's not going to happen um yeah whether they can make it viable in, in in one country you know remains to be seen and then there's a question of even if it is you know should it viable by what means like should, you know depending on sort of lockdown states even if they can technically do it you know there's a question of should they um because you have to also just factor in that you know the players as well and, and all the staff involved in it you know you're talking about thousands of people still um you know across all those squads you know descending on you know, whichever country and so on. 
Um, so you to have play to, it, to play in empty stadiums. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah, during a pandemic, as I'm sure yeah. it can still be then. So there's that side of it as well. There's can we make it work, and then there should we make it work. Um, and I think it, at the moment it is a bit too early to make any proper predictions other than that we definitely won't be back to normal. <laughs> um, but, you know, hopefully, like you say, we, we might be in a better state and we might have more of a handle on it. And it's uh, it's not such an un- unheard of thing to host it. But, I mean, right now it just seems like the whole thing should just be written off, to be honest. Um, but, yeah, we'll have to wait and see. I, I liked the idea of, like, different games in different countries as well, because obviously England had the semi-finals and the final as well, didn't we? Mm. Yeah, 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 that's right. Yeah. Uh, um, so I, 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 I was in the ballot for all, all three games and got no tickets. <laughs> um, so yeah, there, there we go. Um, I fear, I fear for Euro twenty twenty in twenty twenty one because they, they refused to change the name, which is, which really amu- irrationally amused me as well. Just face up to the fact it's a different tournament now, will you? Um. It's been a, a busy, busy weekend. Have you got anything else for me that you want to talk about? So I've got a, a little list, Dan. Um, I thought we should just take a moment, mainly because I sort of tipped them to do quite well. And we did our sort of end of last season, start of this season review type show. Um, but I just want to take a moment to say what a fantastic start by Southampton. They, I tipped them up and then they had a sort of horrible first couple of games. But but since then, they've they've really put a good run together, quite under the radar. Fantastic win at Villa. I know it ended up closer on the scoreline, but Southampton were completely in charge of that game for an hour. Um, some, of, some of the players they've got there, I think, are really underrated. I, I'm a big James Ward-Prowse fan. I think um, he could step up and play in one of the, in one of the top six teams and do a really good, solid job. I'm glad that Gareth Southgate started to include him in the England squad. I think he can pass. I think he can tackle. He's worth three goals every season because he, he scores from set plays and creates goals from his delivery from set plays. Um, I think Jack Danny... Grealish. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he's not Jack Grealish, so Southgate's picked him. Um, you know, obviously Danny Ings, it looked like he got a bad knee injury yesterday. We we hope he's okay because he's a big part of the way they play. It makes such a difference as we know when you've got a 20 goal, a season striker that you can depend on. Um, but I think, you know, there's, there's good players throughout that side. Uh, I like the fact that they're not scared to play Redmond one side and Walcott the other and say we're going to have a go at people and play 4-4-2 and, and you know, press and put you under the caution and play almost a slightly old-fashioned way in that sense um, without suggesting at all that they're kind of long ball because they're not. They get it down and they, they try and move you about. So um, really great credit to the manager. We've talked before about the job he did from the, the point of the humiliation by Leicester last season when I think everyone thought his job was you know, gone and, and he's stuck with it and he's, he's created a really good team there at Southampton. They they're going to have a decent season, I think. Um, you know, caveat that is hopefully Ings is is okay. Uh, so that was in the Premier League. Um, the reflection. I, I thought we should also take a moment, Dan, to um, just congratulate Wickham Wanderers, who had their first ever win in the second tier of English football um, on Saturday. I don't know if either of you on the spot can tell me what year Wickham Wanderers joined the football league. 
I can't, but I can tell you that if I would have picked one team in the championship that they would have got that first win against, it would have been Sheffield Wednesday. <laughs> yeah, Sheffield Wednesday are having their own problems. So, you know, I again, we've talked about the fact that I watched non-league football from a young age. I remember Wickham as a non-league club. They came into the league in 1993 with, with Martin O'Neill. Um, it's the first time they've ever been in the second tier. I'm also a huge fan of Gareth Ainsworth. When I was a budding young um, journalist on a work experience placement, I, I, I went and, and shadowed Radio Stoke at, at Port Vale, and, and he was playing for the Vale at the time, Gareth Ainsworth, and just gave of his time extremely graciously. Top bloke. Not someone you'd have picked necessarily to go and be a successful manager because he was a bit of a, I don't know, he had a reputation as kind of, he was a good looking guy and he, he liked his long hair and he, he was a sort of tricky winger. He wasn't the conventional type that becomes a manager. Um, but he's, uh, he's done extremely well at Wickham, you know, to take them from kind of a struggling League Two club to, to now being in the championship. Uh, OK, it was only against Sheffield Wednesday who are bottom, um, but it, it's just worth noting. They've been close a couple of times in recent weeks and conceded some late goals. So um, great for Wickham to, to get that first win under their belt. Um, you know, huge congratulations. And as I say, only been in the Football League since 1993 and, and just a, a sort of remarkable rise for them, really. And um, and also similarly, a club who I can remember playing in non-league is, is Newport County. And we've not touched a lot on League Two yet this season, but, but Newport are at the top and looking really, really strong and, and looking clear. And, um, you know, Mike Flynn's the manager there who... who People might remember he had a, a spell at Wigan, I think, when they were a kind of upwardly mobile club and then played for Gillingham for a few years and was a good player there um, and has done a really good job at Newport. And uh, They are among the early favourites, I think, for promotion um, to League One. And again, that would be a remarkable journey from where Newport have been in, in you know the last 20 years or so. So a couple of clubs there who are not sort of long-standing members of the Football League, but who are really, really doing well and, and, and great times for their fans. You know, if you're a Wickham fan at the moment, this is the glory years. Make no mistake about it. it this, is, this is probably as good as it'll get, let's be honest. Um, if Wickham make the Premier League, I'll hold my hands up and accept that got that wrong. But, but for them to be in this position and competing with clubs like Nottingham Forest and, and you know some of the other bigger clubs, Sheffield Wednesday, who were in that division, uh, is a real, real credit to them and to the way that they've run the football club and the way they've been managed. I, I actually saw Wickham in the flesh last February time. Um, my, my son was a mascot at, at Bolton. I think he could play for Bolton at the moment, the way things are going. He's, on, he's only five. Um, it, it, um, they, they played. They played well. They, they looked like a team that could get promoted. Would they have done had the season finished? We, we don't know. We, we'll never know that. But mm. they won in the playoffs. They deserved to win on the day as well. Uh, they, they looked every inch a team that could go up when I when I saw them. Confidence, um, genuine threat down both flanks. They looked like a a good team. I, I think that's right, Dan, and I, I say this all the time. I, I think when, you, when you're when you at a live game, you get a slightly different feel for a team. I, I know I was at the year before when Luton went up, before they were top of the league, when they were still a kind of in-the-playoff picture team. Um, I went and saw them play Plymouth, and they absolutely 
you know, destroyed Plymouth on the day. And I just thought this is a team that's going to get promoted out of this league. Um, and you can you can get that kind of feel sometimes when you're in a in a stadium that even if you're watching on TV, you don't always necessarily pick up the same way. Yeah, speaking of Bolton, um, pressure is starting to build on the. On Ian Everett, um, he, he copped a lot of flack last week, and I meant to bring this up and forgot when he uh, he told his uh, his young goalkeeper to to man up. Um, that didn't go down very well at all, and um, they were thumped soundly by Leighton Orient on Saturday. Bolton fans do like a bit of a moan. Um, I, I, I know that well. I've been to watch Bolton enough times. If I, I don't take a game in at Anfield, which which I do most weeks, then I, I often catch games at Bolton if there's a spur ticket snaffled for me to snaffle in my house and um, that's not very often that it happens but um, they've not started the season in, in fine form I, I did say early on um, that it takes a while for a new team which is what Bolton are pretty much from start to, to finish a new team to settle down but the results haven't really settled down yet they've only won two um, I, I think Ian Everett needs to be a little bit careful, not necessarily from the club itself or the owners, but um, the, the fans are not happy with, with how Bolton have started the season. Yeah, I, I can understand that, Dan. I can understand why Bolton fans are not are not happy with the way things are going. Um, my only ray of light that I can give to them at the moment is I think there are some clubs with even bigger problems than Bolton down at, uh, at the bottom end of the, of the League 2 table. I think Mansfield got rid of their manager, didn't they, last week? We've talked already this season about Southend, who were basically trotting out, you know, a Southern Premier League team, let alone a Conference South team in, in League 2 and keep getting bashed every week. And there's no surprise there. I, I think there are enough other clubs with bigger problems, Oldham are in that category as well, um, that the Bolton will probably be okay. Um but at the same time, for Bolton, actually, they need to get out of League Two and they need to get back into League One, um, and that might not happen this season uh, the way they started. Yeah, and that's tough because every year you're down there. Uh, you know, people will say, "Well, what's the difference when you get to that level?" Well, we've already talked about it. The difference between League One and League Two, and you won't notice as much at the moment, but it's punters through the gates. How many of those teams in League Two bring into your ground on a weekly basis? When you look at League One, and you've got Hull and Sunderland and Ipswich and Portsmouth and and, and clubs like that who will bring good numbers and sell out their away allocation and come and fill your, your away end uh, or pretty much fill your away end, it makes a big difference when suddenly you're only getting a quarter of those away fans in the ground because you're playing you know, clubs, who I'm, I'm not going to go through and name people, but who don't have that same following. Uh, so it does make a difference. At the moment, okay, on COVID, you're not getting that money anyway, so maybe it, it's less important. But Bolton Wanderers need to be back in, in League One and not languishing down at the bottom of League Two. Yeah, that's that's pretty much the the be all and end all of it. Being being okay in because there's other teams worse than you won't um, won't wash with Bolton fans. And, and no, should it? No, no, should it? No. Um, but what I will say regarding Mansfield, the uh, the right honourable gentleman from Mansfield likes to gob off about football when it suits him. Maybe you can sit in the dugout for a few games and see what we can come up with. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, there's problems at Mansfield that, you know, maybe he could uh, focus some of his Twitter attention on. 
Yeah, but he should be doing something positive with his Twitter retention. But uh, he's a he's an MP, so that's not 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 on the agenda. Khan, have you got anything? As Leicester are two 0 up at Leeds now, absolutely battering Leeds. It's, it, it could be three or four already. Um, well, I think when uh, just to go back to to Paul's um, first point in the in the roundup, as um, I, I was very surprised that the team name out of his lips wasn't Tottenham Hotspur uh, when he talked about a team who've had a a, a bright start. But um, <laughs> but no, I think. Um, so- Southampton do deserve um, the, the credit you mentioned. I think when they, when actually when they got beat by Spurs, I was sort of laughing, thinking, oh, you know, Southampton, it's that Southampton's annual humiliation um, again. But uh, they, a bit much like last season, they seem to have recovered from it very quickly. Um, and they are going great guns and they've got a great forward, sort of forward line with um, Ings um, and obviously Ward Prowse, as you've called out, with two amazing uh, free kicks yesterday on his birthday, no less. And oh, the um, birthday rule. Mm. And the young lad Che Che Adams as well, um, yeah. who's, who's who's chipping in with, with goals and assists. And I think I just saw earlier. I think apparently the scans come back very positive with Ings, and there's no lasting damage. Um, so uh, yeah, news. it is good news. Whether he'll play this weekend, I don't know. But it looks like yeah, after the international break, he'll be back in the mix. Um, I mean, that would be, that, be great news for, for Southampton, even if he's three or four weeks. Um, Southampton would have snapped your hand off for that. Uh, mm. uh, at the yeah. point he left the pitch yesterday because it looked like it could potentially be really, really serious. So, so fingers crossed that that, that is good news. And because he, he does have a history of his knee injuries. Both yeah, knees, he does. So. Both um, knees as well, unfortunately. It's, yeah. It's, yeah. yeah um, Danny Ings is a, a really, really talented player who's, who's really been held back by... He, he did one knee in training, fought all the way back, and then um, I, think, I think he blocked a shot or he, he, blocked, he blocked something, I'm sure, and then did his other knee exact same injury so he he's fought a long way but i am really 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 happy for danny ings and i'm really pleased that that's not a serious injury um i, I i'm not sure is he friends with jack Grealish? because he, he should be smack banging and around the england team yeah well i mean as long as your name's not jack Grealish, gareth will pick him <laughs> Yeah. Maybe he should change his name. Maybe he should change his name to Mason Mount. He'll be first choice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's, he's, um, he's, but, like Sven. he's got Sven. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But um, didn't um, didn't Southampton fans sort of come top in that optimism survey or whatever it was in in the sort of off season where they surveyed all the fans of how optimistic are you feeling about the season? And I think Southampton came top because they had a really good finish to yeah. last season, didn't they? I think they I think it was it they drew with United and they beat City or something like that. And, you know, they had some good results um, and they were playing well. And like I say, maybe a slightly wobbly first couple of games, but they've looked really, really assured since then. And like I say, you know, Paul, they, they base their game on on going forward. Um, and like I say, maybe some lapses of concentration towards the end that let, let Villa sort of almost actually get something from the game. Um, at the weekend, but you know, generally they they are playing really well. And they're a good team to watch most of the time as well. So it's, it's yeah, a good one. You know, they are. I, I think if they had a centre half, a better centre half, mm. they they'd be a real threat to the. You know, certainly well, I think to they the used to have one that was quite happy. I don't know what happened to him. <laughs> Jordan Pitt. No, it, yeah, <laughs> indeed. I mean, yeah, obviously, but. And, and we've talked all the time about the number of players Southampton have sold on for good profits over the years. But yeah. I don't know how much they paid to Spurs for, for Walker Peters. I know he was originally on loan. I think it is now a permanent move. I don't know how much they paid to Tottenham for that. 
for that deal. No, but I think he's a snip. I think he's a kind of modern fullback. He's athletic. He gets forward. At times, there are question marks against him defensively. But, you know, that's the life of a modern fullback, as far as I can see. He he certainly can, you know, can defend 1v1 because he's such an athletic player that, that he's a difficult person to take take you know take the ball past. So I, I think they've... they've yeah, I think I think that's a good deal, Dan. In in modern football, in the modern market, um, you know, and, and Walker Peters one side and Bertrand the other, they've got two fullbacks who are athletic and can, can get up and down. Um, I've got good quality on the ball as well. Uh, you know, understand the way that football's played in the Premier League. Have, have been at, had an experience of big clubs, but are not kind of. You know, we're not on the way down as such. They were, they were kids at big clubs who made the breakthrough and then didn't quite kick on. And and then you you can add the likes of, you know, Romeo in midfield, obviously was at Chelsea as well. And, and Wolcott's done the rounds now in the last few years at, uh, with Everton and um, obviously had a long spell with Arsenal before that. So I, th- I think they've got a good balance there and a good mix in that, in that setup. The question for them, as will always be, is depth of the squad. Do they have a bench that you look at and you can go, you know, well, they'll, they'll change things like the Shane Long and people like that. Maybe not. Um, but yeah, I think, I think they are a team that's definitely fun to watch. And, and I think the manager's done a great job. Yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, would, would, would you put it past um, Mourinho to pull off the unthinkable with Spurs in this weird season? Is that, is that, is that truly unthinkable? And win the Premier League. Maybe I I put winning the Premier League past them. Yes. Um, yeah. That said, uh, again, considering how poor they were that first weekend against Everton when they lost at home and were dreadful, um, I thought Spurs were going to be in for a difficult season. And since then, uh, they've really kicked on, and uh, you know they haven't lost since, and they've been playing some. They almost look better. I didn't think they were great yesterday. The bits of that game I saw, they almost look better away from home to me. I don't know if it's the way they set up. They look like a team that wants to play on the counter-attack a bit. Um, but yeah, I think it, Spurs have had a good start. There's no there's no doubting that. Uh, they're up and amongst it at the top of the league. Um, deservedly so. Uh, they've got, obviously, an important goal for Gareth Bale yesterday. I thought he missed that big chance at the end before, before West Ham equalised a couple of weeks ago. So, important for him to get a goal. Um, they'll be... I think they'll be in the top four, Tottenham. Having having yeah. seen what I've seen so far, if they can keep Son and Kane fit, they'll they'll be in the top four. Yeah, no, I think that's fair. No, I, I don't I don't think they'll win the league either. Um, Harry Redknapp does. Saw... Yeah, of course he does. Um, well, Bale's back. He'll probably take credit for it. But, um... <laughs> well, blue out of a car window. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Now, I, I, a couple of friends were talking about it. Non non Spurs fans, I should I should I should mention. But uh, and I'd never really. I almost had to stop in my tracks when I reread it. I'm like, what really? But I just thought I'd I just thought I'd plant it in there um, as a, as a slightly mischievous comment. Um, but no, I think the only other thing we, we said we might just touch on is at, at the other end of the table. Um, you know, obviously the, the team that that Spurs beat. You know, we've touched on Burnley before. Um, pretty dire start to the season, solitary points. Um, it's not looking good. We've already kind of covered Fulham, who actually did have a, a win tonight. Um, but uh, yeah, there's some sort of bleak bleak situations down at uh, at the bottom end of the table as well. And, and, and of course, Sheffield United 
languishing as well. Um, I think the consensus seems to be, from you know, most pundits, that for both Sheffield United and Burnley, they've got the right people there and no one's panicking, which I think is which I think is right and fair. Yeah. Um, I think the jobs both those managers have done respectively, they, they've earned the time to sort it out and I think they'll get it. Um, but equally, yeah, it's, it's you know, we what one point from six and seven games respectively is, is you know, is it, it, pretty alarming to say the least. Again, I, I think the one, the one good, the only the other thing I will say is again, because it's so tight across the whole table, it can really change so quick, you know, one or two wins and all of a sudden they'll, they'll be in the top half. Um, so it, 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 that's the only sort of crumb of comfort that people, teams are so inconsistent this season um, that actually it's ne- it's not too late to sort of kick on. Um, but um, yeah, equally they do need to do that pretty quick. Uh, but go, go on, Paul. Sorry, you were. About uh, to yeah, I, I was. I feel it's interesting, Carl. When you look at the bottom, we've we've got seven games played, and I know actually Burnley haven't because they've played six, haven't they? But I wonder if it's ever happened before in the Premier League era, where after seven games we've got three teams without a win. That mm. seems like a lot to me. Yeah, it is. That, that's it's it's coming up to like a quarter of the season. Yeah, yeah, you know, you know, to have three teams, let's like, say Burnley have played six, so if they win the next game, you can throw the stat out the window. But, um, but I'd be surprised if we've had times in the Premier League era where we've had three clubs played seven, won none. Um, yeah, uh, and and it, it, while you're right, at the moment the likes of Fulham and Brighton and Manchester United um, are not that far ahead that they, they, they feel cut off those clubs. Um, certainly Fulham and Brighton, I think, are the other two who will be in that mix. I, I almost feel like that bottom five is the five from which three will come. And we've played seven games. Mm. Brighton, Fulham, West Brom, Sheffield United, Burnley. I, I almost feel like it's it's... It's probably three of those five teams. And West Brom are in yeah. bigger trouble after losing tonight as well at Fulham. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's, it's a, I mean, we should just reflect a little bit on Fulham because we, we talked about Scott Parker last week. He was he was last week's Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, wasn't he? He was the how long does he got moment. So maybe there's maybe that's a good omen, Con, that if we've, uh, if, we've talked, if we've talked about how long Ole's got this week. I'll, I'll take week. it as well, Cam, because you play Everton next week. <laughs> yeah. yeah so so you know i, I think um I, I think it's a really important win for fulham uh but i do think that bottom five and it's a horrible thing to say after seven games but it almost feels like that's the group of teams you're looking at i think you look above that and the likes of west ham and palace and leeds and newcastle you just always think yeah villa i know obviously well, had you. two defeats after a bad uh, a good start you just look at all those teams and think they've probably got more than that bottom five yeah yeah i don't know about yeah i mean i, I do think um the only other one i would maybe question is whether you know i around brighton um i think they they should they yeah. should have enough but i know what you mean and and i do wonder if is there even a chance you know, given perhaps a bit of naive, you know, could could Leeds get sucked into it if they have a bit of a tough winter, you know, with sort of a, a squad that doesn't really know the Premier League? Could that affect them? I don't I know they've got a very experienced coach, but, um, you know, just maybe they're one to throw in the mix as a newly promoted side. I know they've had a, I mean, they're not winning tonight, but they've had a generally positive start. But sometimes you do see that where teams come up and because they're sort of fearless and particularly Leeds been out of the division for so long, they have this sort of bluster, you know, first few games really good and then they can, you know, sink like a stone through the you know the Christmas season and the long winter. Um, and it is worth happen. saying 
Bielsa teams have this reputation for tailing off about three quarters of the way through the season because of the intensity that he works them at. Mm. Um, and when you factor in that there was very little of a of an off-season break um, for those players who've no doubt been drilled by, by Bielsa ball um, all through last season and then after the lockdown and then straight into this one. I mean, yeah, interesting. I, I just, when I look at Leeds' team... I, I I just think they've got more good players and those teams yeah. below them. And, you know, I, I know I know it's a bit of an old fashioned view, but I think you need good players to stay in the Premier League. Crazy talk, crazy. You should get a job at UEFA. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, obviously, you know, I, I have to find a reason to, to sort of have a go at least. Um, so that's just uh, that's my my dig for the week. Um, the only the only f- f- final thought is, um, and I know you know they're, they're not exactly on a shocking run and everything, and they'll probably spank us next week. Now I've said it, but you know Everton aren't top anymore. Um, they're not the best team in the world anymore. All of a sudden, one one midfielder's injured for a week and they look half the side <laughs> they were before. Um, I think it's a bit childish and the missing as well. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. And I, I think and, we did uh, talk. We did talk before the season as well, didn't we, with Everton about the fact that they haven't got the most balanced squad necessarily. And I think when everybody was fit, they've got enough balance in the team. But once you take a Hamez out and you take a Richarlison out, obviously they're two quality players as well. But the balance didn't look quite right to me yesterday. Yeah, they'll they'll, they'll spank us five 0 next week. <laughs> I I did I did watch the game. I watched most games, not just just sat there waiting for Everton to lose. I am, I would have watched it anywhere, no matter where they were in the league. Um, but they just looked short of ideas. You know, like they didn't they had no cutting. I mean, obviously Calvert Lewin is is a threat. He carries a big threat. But apart from from the goal, you know, they, they didn't really create many golden chances and. Um, two two bad goals to give away from Everton as well. I thought, but second one maybe on on caught on the break, trying to push for an equaliser. But I, I just thought they were the penalty was soft, but it was a penalty. There was a a few penalties like that this weekend where it was not necessarily the hardest tackle in in the world, but um, it's still a foul. Callum Wilson, though, contender for signing of the season for yeah. Newcastle, mm-hmm. brilliant signing. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Superb signing for the for the relative pen, pennies that they paid for him as well. Not not big money for someone who gets you ten to fifteen goals more seasons. Yeah, and that obviously in a team like Newcastle, and I'm not having to go at Steve Bruce. You know what you're getting with him. A team that doesn't score a lot of goals. I'll just say that diplomatically. Uh, doesn't create a lot of chances, so you can't afford to have people up front who miss them, um, which might be why Joe Linton's no longer a starter. <laughs> I'm just going to say, like, like Joe Linton. Um, mm. Yeah, um, so yeah, fair, fair play to Newcastle, but um, yeah, the, ne- next week's is a different different challenge and we have the, 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 the blockbuster, the, 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 uh, the blockbuster of... Uh, Manchester City against Liverpool. I think that's just half four on Sunday game. I'll I'll not look forward to that one. Yeah, it's actually a decent little list of fixtures. I think next weekend, you're starting with Everton Man U on on Saturday morning. Um, Leicester and Wolves, I think, will be a good game on on the early the early window on Sunday, and then uh, Man City Liverpool. And then for the third time in three weeks, Arsenal clash with the NFL. It's almost as though there's somebody at the Premier League office just trying to wind me up. Or maybe someone in the NFL office trying to wind you up. 
<laughs> well, I would I would counter that, Dan, with the fact that that is the time that NFL games are normally played, whereas quarter past seven on a Sunday evening is not normally time for a Premier League game. But there we are. We've done that to death. Don't, don't get as angry as the Chicago Bears player yesterday who just sparked the New Orleans player. Did you see yeah, that? Yeah, that was a great, great fight, yeah. A roundhouse. Fights. You don't see many fights in the NFL, really, do you? No, you could have more. Well... Oh, I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say, maybe there's not much of a fight going on at Ellen Road because Leicester are absolutely batteringly. It's still only two 0 but it could be, it could be four or five already. Only 36 minutes gone. Um, I think we've covered a, a wide spectrum of football there. Plenty of things that we can go about. I'll, I'll say for next week, uh, I, I, there's a discussion about whether or not we're going to be going back to five substitutions. I'll save. Um, I've got a lot to say on that, so I'll I'll save that for next week because that I think I could go on about that for a whole hour and a half yeah it's one worth us coming back to yeah yeah i'll I'll put that top of my uh top of my list for next week i've got a lot lot to say and it's not positive if you voted against the five substitutions i'll just say that um so yeah interesting chat gentlemen sorry it's been a bit covid heavy but um we can't get away from it unfortunately the 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 knock-on effect for for um non-elite football as, as the term is 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 just going to be really really tough to take and i think we'll um we'll we'll, we'll call stew up we'll 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 move move stew to the first team if we're going to go football manager about it and um we'll we'll, we'll get him back in for a, a chat about things he, he wants to talk about statistics as well and i know that's something that interests you as well paul yeah definitely so we'll we'll be getting stew back on so thank you very much for your time as always gentlemen um it's been interesting as always and we'll be back again the same time next week so thank you very much everyone